listening to Tassie Encounters on Faith FM. We're coming to you live from Hobart, Tasmania. I'm your host, Jason Cook, and uh, we've got Peter Watts back in the studio today as he continues his series, Searching for Certainty. Welcome, Peter. Thank you, Jason. It's good to be here again. Hey, Peter, coming up on Sunday is uh, Halloween, 31st of October. Mm. I'm just going to ask you, do you participate in Halloween? You know, when I was uh, growing up in the UK, Halloween wasn't really uh, a big thing. Obviously, I think it's been more popular in in the States, uh, and and it's sort of gradually grown. Growing over here, I think. Yeah, for sure. I've noticed that too. And I think, um, you know, I remember going to see a, a film called Halloween back in the... Oh, it must have been in the 80s or whatever it was, and they've had several sequels since. Um, that was a horror film. But I think, um, so Halloween, it's, you know, it's very, it's marketed very much as a, a kid's, you know, thing and, and dress up and have a lot of fun and eat a lot of sweets and, <laughs> and so forth. But um, it's really, I think it's a soft sell into spiritualism. It, it, the, 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 the basic premise is that, uh, when you're dead and you're not really dead and you can, you know, uh, make contact with spirits and, and those kind of things. And that, that you know, it's because it's it's done in a light-hearted, sense of humour kind of childish way, uh, we sometimes think that there's there's no danger there. But um, I think it, um, it lays the foundation for a belief in spiritualism. And uh, we've already talked about that, you know, life after death, what happens when you die. And, um, you know, do, um, do we have an immortal soul? And the, and the Bible tells us that only God is immortal. Um, so you haven't really answered my question. Oh, right. So do, do you I sell actually the, participate? Really. Okay, so, well, actually, in a way, what happens is if, if people knock on our door, I do have some tracts that I give out on what happens when you die. So, so, so you don't give them lollies, you give them something else. I don't else. give them lollies. Well, I'm not opposed to giving them a lolly. But I, I don't usually give them lollies. But I do have a, a bunch of tracts by the door in case. And, uh, you know, it's on the theme of what happens when you die. So so hopefully that's helpful for, for people. But that's that's basically the way in which uh, I, I will uh, attempt to help people. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, so just remember, last week we uh, talked about the topic of the mark of the beast. If mm. you missed that, you can catch up on the Faith FM app or the Faith FM website. That's uh, faithfm.com. If you want to get the app on your phone, you can download that from the App Store. Uh, Just search for Faith FM Australia and you can get the app and you can listen to all of the past episodes on there. And remember our show number for Tassie Encounters is 0488 880 891. We'd love you to text in. You, uh, we'd love you to share your ideas and thoughts, any queries or questions or feedback that you have. And of course, later in the program, we'll have a free offer for you. So that's 0488 880 Remember to save that somewhere, write it down, put it somewhere where you can easily get it uh, when you need it. Peter, today, In Search of the Remnant. Mm. So we're starting to get into some of the more detailed prophetic uh, subjects. And last week, as we mentioned, we talked about the mark of the beast. And, you know, the series is called Searching for Certainty, right? And people want certainty on these things. We've talked about who is the Antichrist. We've talked about the mark of the beast. We've talked about the meaning of hell, all of these different things. And largely because people want to know um, w- with certainty, uh, what these things are. And today we're going to look at in search of the remnant. What do we mean by that? We want to ask the question, does God have 
a remnant church on earth today. Uh, the Bible uh, talks about this. We're going to read a, a scripture from Revelation in a moment. But in a way, this concept of a remnant, a uh, that which remains, shall we mm. say, uh, is something that um, we see in Scripture over and over again. So God creates the world. He uh, creates it perfectly, puts Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. But because the serpent comes in and tempts them and they fall into sin and the world tumbles into uh, sin and you know years go by, centuries go by, and the world is becoming more corrupt, it's becoming more wicked, it's becoming more violent, and God calls out Noah. And God is going to destroy the world by a flood, but he wants to provide a way of salvation. And so he calls out Noah and he says, I want you to build an ark. Um, and uh, he's going to preach too. He's going to build the ark. And he's going to preach for 120 years that there's a flood coming. Help me build the, the ark and get on board. There's a way to be saved. Okay. And so Noah, in a way, becomes a remnant. Mm. Uh, okay. For, for God to save humanity. Uh, through through him and then of course we come a little bit after the flood and you've got abraham abraham lives in ur of the chaldees that's the heart of well, it's down the south of uh, mesopotamia and god calls him out of his country into what would become the promised land and uh, abraham's family essentially for the next 2000 years become the the people through which god is working abraham's descendants uh, we might commonly call them the jews although they were called jews later so abraham was a hebrew then you have the israelites then you have the jews um, all part of Abraham's family, mm. and uh, he was another uh, remnant. The time of the Exodus was another calling out. God's people had gone into Egypt uh, to seek refuge during a time of famine. They ended up uh, generations later becoming slaves there, and God calls them out at the time of Moses, and he leads uh, that people out. Um, then the people um, are in the promised land and then they get uh, they, they become unfaithful and they get carried away captive to Babylon uh, and and God calls a remnant out of Babylon back to the promised land to uh, re, you know rebuild Jerusalem rebuild the temple and so forth we, we see that in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah for instance so you've always got this calling out even the early church so Jesus came, he's the king of the Jews, he was a Jew, all the early believers are Jews, the 12 apostles are Jews, there's 3,000 people baptized on the day of Pentecost, they're all Jews. But Paul writes about this in Romans and he says that they are a remnant of Israel. So the early church is basically the remnant of Israel that believed in Jesus. Mm. And after that you have not only Jews, but non-Jews joining the Christian faith. And so the, the Christian church builds. And the question we want to ask is, does God have a remnant church at the end of time? And if we look at Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17, I'll get you to read that, uh, Jason, if you can. It says, And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. All right. So this is the end of time. It's a very fascinating chapter, Revelation 12. It basically covers Christian history. And this woman represents the church. The dragon is the devil. And it says uh, he's angry with the church. So the devil is angry with the church. So the dragon is angry with the woman. He went to make war with the remnant of her seed. Now, her seed is Jesus the Bible says that uh, if you go back right to Genesis chapter 3, uh, it talks about the seed of the woman. 
and uh, it's talking about Jesus. So the remnant of her seed is the remnant of Jesus, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. There are two interesting identifying characteristics of this remnant people. And we want to find out, is it possible to find out God's remnant church today? You know that there are more than 30,000 different denominations Mm. of Christianity. You know, probably if I ask people, you know, on uh, our listeners and said, how many, how many denominations of Christianity? Well, there might be 10, maybe 20, you know, know, 30,000. Now, some of these are individual congregations. They're a congregational church in a particular town and that's, that's, what they are and they give themselves a name and it's often a question you know why are there so many denominations and that's the question Mm -hmm. why are there so many different denominations we see in scripture uh, many uh, appeals you know jesus says uh, in john 17 21 he's praying to the father that they all may be one as you father are in me and i in you that they also may be one in us that the world may believe that you sent me. In other words, the unity of Christians, according to Jesus, is one of the ways that the world's going to know that God sent you know these people into the world and, mm. and, and that God sent Jesus into the world. Um, Ephesians 4, 4 to 6, maybe you could read that for us, Jason. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. There's a lot of ones in there, right? Mm. One body. He says there is one body and one spirit. Now, the body of Christ, biblically, is the church. Uh, We we can see that. Um, In fact, if you go to 1 Corinthians 12, this will be an interesting passage to read. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 13. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. So this talks to the unity of Christianity and that God's intention was that there should be one people. Uh, We have one Bible, right? There's one God, Mm. there's one Bible, there should be one body and we're all members and it mentions that there are differences there are Jews and there are Greeks there are slaves there are free there are male and female there's old and young black and white you know there's lots of uh, different kinds of people many members but one body and so how is it that we have thousands of different denominations and we're going to take a look at that as we come back in our second session Okay, well, let's uh, go to the break but before we do we just want to ask a question of our listeners um, we wonder if you can think about this during the songs and, and perhaps later in the program and please text us in on 0488880891 your thoughts on this. Why does God need to keep calling out a remnant? It seems as though in the past we've seen those uh, uh, passages or the uh, the people that uh, Peter talked about, he kept on calling people out. So why does God need to keep calling people out that is he calls out a remnant text us in on zero four double eight double eight zero eight nine one this is a song by christian berdal and it's called find us faithful we're pilgrims on the journey of the narrow road And those who've gone before us line the way Cheering on the faithful 
Encouraging the weary, their lives a stirring testament to God's sustaining grace. Surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run the race not only for the prize. But as those who've gone before us, let us leave to those behind us the heritage of faithfulness passed on through godly lives. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe, and the lives we live inspire them to obey. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. and dreams have come and gone And our children sift through all we've left behind May the clues that they discover And the memories they uncover Become the light that leads them To the road we each must find Oh, may Find us faithful May the fire of our devotion Light their way May the footprints that we leave Lead them to believe And the lives we live Inspire them to obey Find us faithful by Christian Badal. You're listening to Tassie Encounters on Faith FM. And this morning we're talking with Peter Watts on the topic 
of the remnant. Now, Peter, we just got to a part in our discussion where, well, first of all, we asked a, a listener question, why does God need to keep calling mm. out a remnant? But we also uh, we're, we're talking about how there are so many different denominations and, mm. and yet God calls for unity. So yeah. uh, it's an interesting conundrum. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think because we have a Bible, I mean, you know, there, there is, you know, one Bible that we... Um, that's the place I think we have to go to. So in other words, um, somebody once said that you, you can't find truth by a church, but you can find a church by the truth. Mm. In other words, we want to go to the Bible and find out what is God's plan for his church and what, what message is God uh, sharing through through his word. And uh, in answer, you know, um, we were talking about why does God need to keep calling a remnant. There's an interesting passage in Acts um, Acts chapter 20, where Paul is addressing uh, believers, and he, he says something interesting here in Acts chapter 20, verse 28 to 30. It says, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock to shepherd the church of God. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Yeah, so here Paul is warning that after the disciples have gone, uh, he's saying that, you know, there are going to be people coming into the church who will draw away disciples after themselves. There'll Mm. be a falling away. There'll be... um, he even, you know, he uses strong language, savage wolves will come in amongst you, not sparing the flock, and, and drawing disciples away after themselves. And um, this is a reason why when when uh, the church, the history of the Christian church is that there was um, this explosion of, of the Christian church in the first century. Then you have persecution against the church, and then you have compromise and then you start to see corruption. In this is the history of the church, and, and um, it's interesting. You go to uh, Revelation twelve, and you find a woman there, and that represents the Christian church. And it talks about this battle between the dragon. So maybe we'll read um, read uh, verse twelve. Sorry, chapter twelve, verse one and two. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head garland, a garland of twelve stars. Then, being with child, she cried out in labour and in pain to give birth. All right. And then it talks about uh, the, the next sign they see is, is a, a great red dragon. We're told in Revelation 12 that this dragon represents the devil. So that's just another name for the devil. The mm. woman represents God's uh, church. And um, we see that throughout Scripture, God has represented his church as a woman. If you think about Ephesians 5.25, you've got that there, I think, Jason. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. You know, the gospel is really a love story between God and this woman that he wants to make his bride, and that is uh, his people. And yet at the same time, you go to Revelation 17 and you find that there is another woman depicted there. And this woman is um, very different in terms of, it, you know, the description that it gives of this woman. And I'll maybe get you to read that. It's in Revelation 17, 3 and 4. There's another woman depicted, but it's very different from the woman in Revelation 12. 
It says, So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And the next uh, little passage, uh, five and six, because there's some other elements here. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. This is an interesting description because, you know, when it says, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus, clearly this is a woman who is not in harmony with God's God's plan, right? Because mm. um, she's actually uh, responsible for the persecution of, of God's people. And many Christian uh, writers and, and scholars through the ages have recognized this as the medieval church. And so you have, in contrast, if you like, you have a contrast between the pure woman of Revelation 12, which represents God's people, and then this unfaithful woman in Revelation 17, which represents uh, a, a corrupt um, belief system. And so what you have then is if you look at the history of the church, as Paul said, there would eventually be compromise and corruption that would creep into the church. And many uh, of our listeners may be aware that um, there was a great reformation of the church that was brought about in uh, the, the 1500s. It began, it really began a little earlier. There were the mm. people calling for reform in the 14th century. You have uh, people like John Wycliffe, mm. who, um, you know, he is uh, a, a member of the church. He's a preacher of the church, mm. and but he's criticizing his own church and saying, we need to reform this. We're not practicing what the Bible teaches. Um, Jan Hus in Czechoslovakia, similarly, um, and then you come to the time of Martin Luther, and Martin Luther in the 16th century, um, he is uh, so appalled by the practices of the church, and he has access to the scripture, which not everybody did, and he's able to look at the scripture and say, you know what, we are not practicing biblical Christianity, and uh, he championed things like uh, the Bible alone and saved by grace and uh, of course, Lutheran, the Lutheran Church developed out of Martin Luther's teachings. Mm. Uh, Martin Luther um, stood up uh, for for the Bible and for truth uh, in the midst of his his own church. He was a doctor of the church. He was a teacher in their university, but he recognised that the church had strayed far from biblical truth, mm. and he wanted to to bring it back to to the Bible, and so. Uh, where did we get the Lutheran Church? Well, the Lutheran Church simply were followers of Martin Luther. Mm. And um, that's where we got that church. Uh, shortly after Luther, there was a man, man by the name of John Calvin in Switzerland. And uh, he also was calling for reform. And uh, he um, was responsible for the reformed and the Presbyterian churches. One of his followers was John Knox. And um, we'll come to that in a moment. But what I like about the... Uh, the Presbyterian Church is the sovereign, the sovereignty of God. They taught the sovereignty of God and the security and assurance of salvation in Christ, which were um, teachings that were being uh, neglected or overlooked 
by uh, by the, the the broader church or the Catholic Church at the time, which was the the major church of Christianity, and so um, the Presbyterian Church came about because of the teachings of John Knox and the teachings of John Calvin. There's a man by the name of John Smith. Uh, he was an Anglican minister. He uh, left England for Holland in 1607. He was baptised by immersion in 1608. And Smith's followers set up the first Baptist church in 1612. So, you know, we're talking about why so many denominations, why these thousands of denominations. We're starting to see how a, a particular individual studied the scriptures. They found something there. Hey, this has been in the Bible for all of these hundreds of years, but we've overlooked it. We've neglected it. Our practices have strayed from the biblical pattern, the biblical model, and therefore we um, we need to return to that. That's what they were essentially saying. And each of these leaders uh, discovered something new. But when they died... The believers that had gathered around that teaching stuck with that and they didn't really progress further. Mm. And what you have then is another reformer that's needed. And what I like about the Baptist church is they believe in bapti- you know, believers' baptism by immersion, a decision made by a mature person. Yes, I want to follow the Lord and I'm going to get baptized, as opposed to the practice that was then being practiced, which was sprinkling or pouring. Oh, and you can, and at, a, at an infant age. Yes, as, well. as yeah. an, an infant, yeah. Mm. And, and so the infant doesn't have the, the say, the parent does. Mm. And so um, they believed in believers' baptism. Then you come to the time of John Wesley, another Anglican minister. And um, he uh, studied the Bible and he, he he championed the truths of living like Christ, his life in us, sanctification. And, of course, the Methodist church today uh, that took up John Wesley's teachings. Um, we have the Methodist church today because of John Wesley. And so you, you gradually see that a number of different churches emerged from the Church of the Dark Ages, having various different beliefs that they had found in Scripture, but they would champion those beliefs, and as they passed away, their their followers would cling to that that particular belief. Mm. So, really, what we're saying is that uh, all of these reformers they they were breaking away from the long standing traditions of tradition, the and I guess corrupted, um, you know, non unbiblical unbiblical beliefs. Um, yeah, unbiblical beliefs, and they're gradually bringing back in these these true biblical beliefs. Yes, and uh, and I guess this this has created some of those denominations along the way. Exactly. As exactly. Awesome. Okay, um, now just uh, want to ask our listeners, uh, why does God need to keep calling out a remnant? We'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Please text us in on 0488-880-891. Later in the program, we're going to be giving away a little book called Steps to Christ, but we'll give you a bit more information after this next break. This uh, song is called Well Done by The Afters. What will it be like when my pain is gone And all the worries of this world just fade away Say 
is made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio. Welcome back to Tassie Encounters. You're listening to Faith FM. And today we're speaking with Peter Watts on his series, Searching for Certainty. And we've been talking about the remnant. And uh, now, Peter, we've just been talking about how uh, the, the process, I guess, or we've been talking about the process of which Biblical truth was rediscovered, yes. and uh, I'm sure we've got a bit more to talk about in that regard. Yeah, for sure. So um, basically through the history of the church, just as we'd said before, you know, God would raise up a champion of truth, 
um, as he did in the past. And um, you would see these uh, great reformers uh, such as uh, Luther and Calvin and uh, Knox and uh, others and John Wesley, uh, and and they were rediscovering truth. It was always there. It was always in the scriptures. Mm. That's the thing. They didn't come up with new uh, new light, as it were, in terms of their own ideas. Mm. They were simply rediscovering things that were in the scriptures. And so truth was slowly being restored. Now, there's a couple of verses in Revelation 12 that, that, that talks about the history of the church here. And I want you to read verse 6. And then we're going to read verse 14 because it's basically um, repeating and enlarging upon what it's given before. So read verse 6 for us, Jason. It says, Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. All right. So here the woman represents the church, goes into the wilderness, but God is is um or taking he has care of her. A place, yeah. yeah, he's taking care of her. Yeah. And uh it says uh for a period of time 1260 days. Now mm. that period of time we've already talked in one of our previous presentations about some of the principles of prophetic interpretation one of which is that in a prophetic day in bible scripture um represents a one literal year so these 1260 days actually represent 1260 years of actual history and this time period god must want us to know about it because it's seven times in scripture we find it twice in the book of daniel and we find it five times in the book of revelation it's uh expressed in three different ways it's expressed as a time times and half a time it's expressed as 42 months it's also expressed here as 1260 days but it represents 1260 literal years of history where god's church was uh, as it were in the wilderness read for us verse uh revelation 12 14 which basically repeats the same idea using different language but the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. All right. So uh, here it, it's uh, intermingling that word serpent with the word dragon, which is interesting because mm. it's already mentioned earlier in the chapter that this is the serpent of old called the devil and Satan. But uh, again, she's in the wilderness and it's for a time, times and a half a time. This is the same time period as, one, as the 1,260 years of actual history. And we recognize when we looked at Daniel chapter 7, as we looked at the subject of who is the Antichrist a few episodes ago. And if people, uh, listeners want to go back to that, they can find that uh, on the app or on the website as one of our previous episodes. We noted that that period was from 538 to 1798. This was the 1260 years uh, spoken about there. And uh, what happened at the end of that period in 1798 is Napoleon was wanting to conquer Europe. He knew that in order to control Europe, he would need to deal with the papal uh, system. And so he went and had his general take the Pope prisoner in 1798 and, and the Pope ended up dying in prison. And many Protestants thought that that was the end of the papal system at that point. Um, and, uh, you know, they they began studying prophecy. They Many Protestants, both in Europe and in America, uh, saw that event uh, as a fulfilment of prophecy. And after 1798, you have scholars, 
priests, ministers, lay people of all denominations studying the books of Daniel and Revelation uh, to see what's going to happen next. And they focused in on the longest time prophecy in the Bible, which is Daniel 8.14, which says... Daniel 8.14. Sorry, I don't have that there. Do you have it? No worries, I have it. Here we go. For 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. And so basically they said, what does this mean? And there were a number of different views on this. And uh, there was a Baptist farmer by the name of William Miller. And his interpretation of this was well the earth is that which is going to be cleansed by fire so the sanctuary is the earth the cleansing is going to be by fire it's the second coming of christ that's what he thought that meant Mm. and he thought if we can find out where these 2300 days start and end then we'll know when jesus is coming back and uh, again they applied the principle of the day for a year so these 2300 Days represented 2,300 years, and uh, they recognized that they, they, they began in the Persian period, 457 BC, and that would bring them clear down to 1844. And they believed Jesus was going to come in 1844. And this was a multi-denominational group. Uh, they'd rediscovered the second coming, they'd rediscovered the importance of the second coming, and uh, they were now saying Jesus is going to come back in 1844. Well, of course, Jesus didn't come back in 1844. Mm. And, of course, the prophecy in Daniel 8.14 never said that he would. It it says that the sanctuary would be cleansed. And uh, they began restudying the Bible. They reapplied themselves. And uh, they discovered that uh, there is a sanctuary in heaven. The Bible talks about God's temple in heaven in the book of Revelation. Mm. And Jesus is cleansing the sanctuary in heaven, after which he will return in glory. In the, in the second coming. And so um, they began uh, studying uh, the Bible uh, afresh. Uh, it was an interdenominational group made up of people of all different backgrounds. Uh, they studied the Bible. They, they embraced those truths discovered by other godly people, the truths that Luther had discovered, then Calvin had discovered, and Knox and John Wesley, people like that. They said, yeah, these guys were right on that particular point. And so they embraced those truths. They rediscovered other biblical truths, and they eventually became the Seventh-day Adventist Church that we know today. Now, what I like about the Adventist Church is they believe and teach the visible return of Jesus, that judgment has begun, death is asleep, they believe in a global mission, and they share the three angels' messages uh, from the book of Revelation. And it is interesting to make a comparison between, say, um, Revelation 14.12, which says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And then you compare that with the next um, passage, the one we read earlier, which is Revelation seventeen. Sorry, twelve seventeen, that talks about the remnant. Read that one, Jason. Yeah, and the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So here at the end of the third angel's message, you have the same two elements that you have uh, at the uh, this description of God's remnant people. So they keep the commandments of God and they have Jesus Christ. So this one talks about the testimony of Jesus. Uh, the other one talks about the um, the uh, 
faith of Jesus. And so Jesus and the commandments, and, and I always like to say that, um, you know, there are a people on earth today who keep all of God's commandments but don't have the testimony of Jesus. And who would they be? The Jews. The Jews, yes, that's they, true. They yeah, keep yeah. the commandments yep. of God, but they don't have the testimony of yeah, Jesus. That's right. And then, of course, there are millions on earth today mm. who have the testimony of Jesus. They are Christians. They're followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. But we don't. they don't necessarily keep all of God's commandments. Mm. And uh, the, the, the principal one is the Sabbath, the, the one that is, I guess, most... Um, most neglected, which is interesting why, why God says remember. So we'll, we'll come back to this in a moment. We're going to take a break and then we'll come back and take a look at that some more. Just a bit more about our book offer today. This is a free book offer. You can text in to get this book sent to you. It's uh, Steps to Christ by Ellen G. White. Thousands have become acquainted with Jesus through this little book, Steps to Christ, and it has helped many more, including those who have walked with him for years, to know him better. In just 13 short chapters, you'll discover the steps to finding a forever friendship with Jesus. You'll read about his love for you, repentance, faith and acceptance, growing like him, the privileges of prayer, what to do with doubt and how to spend your days rejoicing in your best friend, Jesus. It's a great little book. It's not a, a big book. That's what I like about it. It's a, <laughs> it's a small book and uh, it's got some really good uh, messages in there and, and brings everything back to uh, those scriptural passages as well that help us in our walk with Jesus. So we're going to give you the code for that immediately after the break. But here right now is By Faith by Rebecca Simmons. By faith we see the hand of God in the light of creation's grand design In the lives of those who prove His faithfulness Who walk by faith and not by sight By faith our fathers roamed the earth With the power of His promise in their hearts of a holy city built by God's own hand A place where peace and justice reign We will stand and die as children of the promise We will fix our eyes on Him, our soul's reward Till the race is finished and the
Listening to Tessie Encounters, and that was by faith, Rebecca Simmons. Now, before the break, I did promise that we'd give you the code to our giveaway, our free book offer today. It is Steps to Christ, and the code for that book offer is search number 27. If you can text search number 27 into 0488 880891, uh, just the word search and the number 27, no spaces, text that into 0488 880891, and we will get that book sent out to you as soon as we can. Now, Peter, just in wrapping up, what are we really saying about the remnant and what are we not saying? Yeah, good question. So if we, um, let's go back in time. Let's go back to the Old Testament for a moment. Let's think about the children of Israel. Do we accept and believe that God was working through the children of Israel to share his message of love and grace with the whole world? Mm. Yes, we do. It's very clear in the Old Testament uh, that God is working through Israel. There's no question about that. They didn't always do a good job. But here's the point. That's exactly right. They made lots of mistakes, so much so that God has to allow them to be carried away captive to Babylon, you know. Mm. So this this was not a perfect group of people by any stretch of their most remote imagination. In fact, what I like about God's description in Deuteronomy, he says, I did not choose you because you were the greatest of nations. You were the smallest of peoples. Mm. And what I t- and he says, but I chose you because of my great love for you. Mm. So what I take away from that, Jason, is that God is essentially saying, if I can do something with you, the smallest of peoples, then I can do something with anybody. And so God is using that people as a remnant of, of, the, of, of the earth. 
uh, to share his message of light with the world. Now, were they all faithful? No. Not everybody who was in Israel was faithful and he's going to heaven, mm. right? Yeah. But at the same time, and not everybody who's not part of that group is lost or mm. outside of the Absolutely. kingdom. Yeah. God, God says, I've got people everywhere, right? Mm. Jesus said himself, uh, the, the you know the many will come from the east of the, and the west and sit down with Abraham. Mm. So we're not looking at exclusivity here. Mm. We're simply saying, has God raised up a movement in order to proclaim His truth? We saw that with Israel. I believe God is doing the same in the last days. I've got six characteristics, uh, six identifying characteristics of God's end time church here. Number one, they keep God's commandments. Okay, we've read that they keep the commandments of God, and that would include the seventh day Sabbath, mm. and. That narrows the field, mm. right? That if, if you're going to say God's people keep the commandments, that narrows the field because there aren't that many denominations that say, yes, we should keep the seventh-day Sabbath. They have the faith of Jesus, so it's got to be a Christian denomination, right? Yes. Um, they proclaim the three angels' messages. We find them in Revelation uh, 14, verses 6 to 12. Because that's God's end time, and it's, you know, the hour of his judgment has come. This cleansing of the sanctuary has begun in heaven. They're proclaiming that, and they're calling people to faithfulness to God. It's it's a global movement. So you might have a community church on the street corner in some little town somewhere, but unless they have a mission to reach the whole world, that's not the same, uh, uh, because the three angels' messages go to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, mm. the whole world, those who dwell on the earth. So it has to have a global mission. It has to emerge after 1798. God's church was in the wilderness until the 1260 years had uh, expired. Mm. And then we see the emergence of the remnant. It's after that time. And it has the gift of prophecy, which we're going to incidentally be talking about next week. So we hope people tune in for that. And so... I was not raised a Seventh-day Adventist. I didn't go to Seventh-day Adventist school. I knew no Seventh-day Adventists growing up. I was uh, a secular person, called myself an atheist till my mid-twenties. The reason I became a Seventh-day Adventist was because of undeniable biblical truths, many of which we've talked about in our series, Searching for Certainty. And, you know... I don't believe that everybody who is a Seventh-day Adventist is naturally going to heaven. Mm. It's based on whether you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Yeah. And I don't believe that anybody outside the Adventist church is automatically lost, right? We don't believe a Seventh-day Adventist. We do not believe that you have to be a Seventh-day Adventist to be, to be saved. Okay, some, some churches believe that. We don't. And, but what I do believe is that God has raised up this movement and some people will say, well, I thought the remnant, God's end time remnant, would be made up of people from everywhere. Well, that's what the Adventist church is. You know, I was, was an atheist, yeah. right? The, these people were from the Catholic background and Anglican background and Baptist background and Presbyterian background and Muslim background and Hindu background and, you know, all sorts of different backgrounds. And that's what you go to a typical Seventh-day Adventist church and you'll find, you know, we are more diverse than any other church on earth. Because we believe in every nation, kindred, tongue of people, whether you're black or white, old or young, male or female, you know, God is calling people together to himself um, to and, proclaim his message. And even in our roots, we've got that uh, that bringing together from people from different uh, 
backgrounds and different faiths. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I want to read a couple of statements from our Roman Catholic friends. Um, and this is uh, a piece from Rome's Challenge. And this was actually published online in 2003 too at a Catholic website. It said, The challenge issued by Rome over a 100 years ago remains. Either the Catholic Church is right or the Seventh-day Adventists are right. There can be no other choice. And if one chooses neither, then the whole doctrine of sola scriptura collapses, and with it the pillar upon which all of Protestantism stands. They're basically saying that if you're going to go with the Bible alone, then you're going to have to go with Sabbath, mm. right? And and therefore um, the Protestant claiming to go with the Bible but not keeping Sabbath is is inconsistent. And so I believe God is calling his people together. I'm going to finish with John 10 verse 16, which says, Jesus is talking, he says, Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. How many flocks are there going to be? Only one in the end, Mm. right? And there's one shepherd, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's him we want to follow. Mm. Well, that's a a strong message there, and uh, we certainly want to be following Jesus. And we want to do that the best way we know how. Mm. And I think that's where we need to keep searching for truth, searching for certainty, and uh, that's what this program's all about. Now, just to remember our free offer giveaway today, Steps to Christ. Uh, the code for that is the word SEARCH and the number 27, SEARCH27. Text that to 0488-880-891. Peter, what have you got for us next week? I think you mentioned earlier what you were going to be talking about, but uh, just give us a little bit more on that. Uh, next week? Yeah, next week. So we're going to be talking about the spirit of prophecy. There is a verse in Book of Revelation in chapter 19 that speaks about this. And um, God has always blessed uh, people with the spirit of prophecy and used prophets throughout the scriptures. That's how we got the scriptures. But does God still pour out his spirit on people today? Is there a modern-day prophet? Uh, how can we find that out and how can we identify it? Okay. And tomorrow we've got the Signs of the Times with David Maxwell. Please join us tomorrow at 9am. And, of course, tune back in next Thursday to listen to Peter Watts with the Spirit of Prophecy. So that's it for today. We just hope that uh, wherever you are that you have a good day. And we're going to go out with this song, This Little Light of Mine, by J.J. Heller. This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine Let it shine Let it shine Let it shine shine.